and welcome to the 25th episode of the Next Report podcast Wait. covering Unix and Overlook pop culture. Um, I'm Thomas. I am Mitchell Brown. And I'm Zach Dotson. Uh, one of the things that we talked about last time and and everything else was something regarding loosely connected to civil liberty. Liberties, excuse me. Um, when Manning, when Snowden released the information that they released, uh, one of the things that we've got to ask ourselves is, okay, Manning's stuff was more regarding foreign policy, but what Snowden released kind of affects our um, understanding of what's happening on a local level, and we ask ourselves, should the NSA be able to have the ability to have all this metadata, and there's been debate going back and forth. So one of the things that people have done is ask, okay, well, what can I do to ensure that I have a little bit more privacy? Because security expert Bruce Schneier had basically said, okay, the situation is not completely hopeless. There are some things you can do. Um, first of all, what when you guys were researching this, what were your thoughts on the subject matter? On um, what? Anonymity online or? Tor software. Just anonymity online. Well, privacy based stuff. Some of the technology that people have come up with that can be used to help, help you. At least, very least, if you make it hard for the NSA, make it more expensive. You definitely does it make it does it make it more expensive? No, I I, I, did, I just think that it gives us a little bit you know layers of delusion of trying to keep ourselves anonymous online. Because one of the things that the NSA has to do, if you use one of the things Snowden said is if you use high-end encryption systems mm-hmm. that are properly implemented, those are one of the few things you can rely upon. There's a reason that they have invested quite a bit of money in the stuff that they do. Because if they have to brute force their way through, it's going to take quite a bit of computing power to break encryption. By what means would the FBI have to brute force their way through? The NSA, basically, not the FBI. Different subject. Sorry. Um, no, I was thinking of a different case with the the guy in Ireland. But go ahead. The the Eric Marquez case. Yeah. Actually, go ahead and describe that real quick. Yeah, so uh, Eric Marquez, who is the Freedom Hosting, um, I guess, founder, if you will, uh, had a series of servers. Um, According to an article published by Matthew Schwartz, um, we'll have all these article links posted for you um, on our show notes. The FBI admitted to taking over Tor servers as a part of its takedown aimed at Eric uh, Marquez. this article was posted just yesterday, and the Department of Justice is now seeking the extradition of Marquez, who holds uh, dual U.S.-Irish citizenship on child pornography charges. Basically, what happened was that there is coding within um, some of the servers that Tor was using that allowed for um, anybody who was interested to basically find out who um, who is posting information via the Tor network and a lot of people, uh, a lot of for people who are curious to track down and backtrack using the IP addresses back to where the content was being published and who was publishing that content. Now, based on the reports that are coming out by the FBI, um, Donahue, uh, uh, Donahue described Marquez as being the largest facilitator of child porn on the planet and the sole administrator behind the Freedom Hosting Service. 
Now, as of right now, um, uh, there, there's some, uh, that's what's happening with regards to Freedom Hosting um, and Tor. There was also another report that came out. Um, several researchers um, came out with a report after this uh, issue in the coding of uh, the Freedom Hosting and uh, Tor coding happened. They released a report that identified who was using Tor, who was posting information uh, through Tor. And what they found was that a lot of it was actually bots um, generating and sending out information. Um, a lot of it was shady and controversial uh, and, illegal, and illicit services and goods uh, organizations. I'm sure our listeners have at least heard of the Silk Road. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the five of the, I think, top 11 or top 20 were child pornography uh, uh, generators who were exchanging um, illicit goods and services via the Tor network. And, I mean, all of this is just now unfolding. For all of those who are concerned, uh, who <laughs> maybe have dabbled in this illicit content via Tor, uh, this pat uh, it has been patched. It was patched shortly after um, this all happened with Marquez and Freedom Hosting and Tor. Um, and after, obviously, these researchers were able to identify what who is controlling content through Tor. Um, so for those who do use Tor, I mean, I guess you're kind of okay. <laughs> but, I mean, overall, uh, there are some there are some holes even within our current understanding and operability with these alternative web browsers and um, technology. Um, one alternative browser in question is it's put out by the Pirate Bay. Can you say ARG? No. 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 <laughs> um, it's called the Pirate Browser, which use, utilizes Tor. And the, the purpose behind it is not privacy, but more around getting around censorship. And on their FAQ, it says, does it make me surf the net anonymously? And it says, no, it's not intended to be a Tor browser. While it uses the Tor network, which is designed for anonymous surfing, this browser is only intended to circumvent censorship. The Tor network is used to help route around the censoring blocking of websites your government doesn't want you to know about. And they recommend using a VPN such as Privacy.io to add basically a layer of security to you. Right. It's, it's kind of like how you would set up like a home security system, right? I mean, you wouldn't just have the padlock on the door. No. Ideally, if you, have a, if you have a home, you would have you know, like a, uh, a firearm, you would have other safety protocols, um, alarm systems that would alert you if someone broke in. So think of Tor and these alternative web browsers as just that. If you already have um, security um, uh, technology on your computer, then Tor, Pirate Bay, these are browsers that allow for you to have an additional layer of security. They're not intended to just be kind of standalone things, and if you use them, you can bypass uh, a host of other different things and be safe in the process of doing it, no, you should probably have other software on your computer to prevent viruses and things of that nature from corrupting your hardware. And one of the, one of the, one of the big things is people do a lot of searching through Google, through Yahoo, through Bing. Those are the big three. But did you know that your search engine also saves information on you? The NSA is often gone to... Those companies, Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, and requested information or 
broke certain rules and obtained it anyhow. So here are a couple of web-based searches that you can go through where they don't save your information at all. They don't collect any information. All it does is return search results. Uh, one of them is startpage.com, which is run by a company called Xquick. They, their search results are powered by Google, but Google doesn't get your information. It only gets theirs. And one of the things you might notice if you have a Google account, compare your search results through Google to start pages search results, and you might notice something happening. Google reads your information and tailors search results for you based upon what you search upon. That's, that's basically standard operating procedure on a lot of websites. That's why you might visit a certain bank's website and suddenly notice ads for that bank on your Facebook, for example. Um, cookies and tracking. Um, it does start page doesn't do that. Well see like a lot of these I I maybe maybe I'm just skeptical. I, I admit I've admitted previously that I don't know a whole lot about technology, but what I do know is that these um you know vast enterprises tour freedom hosting um they they have had they have devoted millions of dollars, they've received millions of dollars to keep the um, the privacy of their users protected. And a lot of evidence that's coming out is saying that, you know, maybe you should start rethinking whether your privacy is really protected using these websites. And, and that's why no single solution is foolproof. It's just another another option to kind of help you along. One of the cool things about the website I mentioned is with each search result, it has a little link that says, you know, XWIC proxy. So you can browse the site for free using one of, using one of their proxies so it doesn't get, hopefully, traced back to you. The problem with relying on Tor alone, which Tor was a project that was started by the Navy, I saw that. I found that to be interesting. I think it, it, it will also, if you look at the basic constructs of the Internet, also coming from the government. Right. Uh, what, what really concerns me about a lot of these projects being started up is that, you know, if we're using these web browsers and these alternative uh, modes of technology in order to keep our privacy or at least keep a bit of anonymity uh, with our searching, it seems counterintuitive that we would use these in an era where the NSA, um, there's plenty of documentation suggesting the NSA has been tracking people's uh, web searching, uh, their phone calls, and they're using and hacking into these you know, vast enterprises to do so. Or at the very least, um, there's, there was an article that was uh, published by Brian Fund um, on September 6th, and he goes into quite a bit of analysis talking about um, he he was specifically talking about Tor, and I know that uh, Tor is not the only one. Tor probably represents at least a, a significant chunk of this alternative browsing um, enterprise that we're talking about. And then he was talking about how how you should be really reluctant to use these uh, alternative web browsers. Um, he actually posted uh, the consolidated schedule of expenditures of federal awards uh, for the Tor project, incorporate an affiliate. 
and it goes from fiscal year ending in December um, 31st, 2012. He actually posts the budget line from the U.S. Department of Defense, um, and we'll have that posted for you, or at least we'll have access to that article for you. Um, federal uh, CFDA number 12.335 says that the uh, U.S. Department of Defense gave $876,099 to TOR. The, um, ro- uh, let's see, Roger, was it Dingle, uh, Dingledine? Is that his last name? I don't know. That's um, a cop's last name. That's a cop last right. name. <laughs> he, said, he said the Department of Defense money is more like a research grant than a procurement contract. And then he says that, you know, the Navy, the Department of Defense has a positive interest in maintaining TOR. So people who are in different countries who face censorship can have a venue to do web searching to communicate with people without the risk of being tracked. And that's why the government has a hand in TOR in these alternative browsers. I'm skeptical, though. Uh, why are you skeptical of that claim? I, well, I'm skeptical of all the recent reports that came out about the NSA, about the FBI tracking, using metadata to track the behavioral patterns of the citizens um, in, an, in a broader effort on the war on terrorism. Now, the government has a positive interest in protecting the security of its citizens, and if they can use that metadata to do so and justifiably show that this project is worth keeping to, to the populace, then it's one that I support. But it seems, it seems odd for me that in an era, in a post-9-11 um, world, world, war on terrorism era, that we're more concerned with labeling potentially everybody as threats as opposed to identifying where, I guess, pockets of uh, threatening activity occur and then isolate them and then, then use those funds that you do have to put into these massive operations. Instead, what we have is kind of a broader network of labeling everybody as a potential security threat, and it stretches already scant resources. Um, and what's happening is that you know more and more um, security, legitimate security threats are falling through the cracks. And it's an unfortunate reality. Um, one security expert, Bruce Schneier, has reviewed certain some of the documents that Snowden has leaked. And one of the things that Snowden has said is that, that properly, properly implemented crypto systems can be relied upon. One of the things that he pointed out is that a lot of, a lot of uh, network connections are compromised, thus negating it, is the big problem that he, is, he has said. But this individual has basically said that it's, it's still possible to make it a little bit harder because the NSA, they've got the resources to target one individual, quite a few resources. It's the more people that they have to track or have to search out or seek out, the more expensive it gets for them to do so. So they're not going to waste resources willy-nilly. Um, some of the things that he's suggested is hide in the network. We are, we've covered this with Tor, um, to an extent, and again, Tor's primary function is to basically obfuscate. You know how back in the old days of Net, you you remember the old days of Netscape, right, Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly don't. <laughs> where, where where you where you, <laughs> where you click a link, 
and it says website contacted waiting for reply. What happens is when you click that link, you're contacting a remote location for information to be sent for display in your web browser. Anybody with enough know-how can figure out where you're going online, where the requests are coming from. Tor obfuscates that by sending that request to another Tor endpoint, to another Tor endpoint, and then that exit node is where it hits before you get it. You get that information. Right. If you think of it like it's like a single road that forks, and then it forks again, and then it forks again, and if you're on one of those forks, you don't know where the original route is, you just know that there are all these various paths that eventually lead back to the source. Now, the reason why that alone is not sufficient for privacy is because an exit node could very well be compromised. That's why the more people, the more people set up Tor relays, the better off the Tor network itself is and the better it will perform. That's why where you, you try to do casual browsing on Tor, you're going to notice it's, even on a high-speed connection, it's quite a bit slower. Because it's going through all those relays, you're going to have a delay. So the next step this guy has is encrypt your communications. He's talking about TLS and IPsec. And he says again, well, it's true that the NSA targets encrypted conditions and it may have explicit exploits against these protocols. You're much better protected than if you communicate in clear. Yeah, but it begs the question, if if you ha if you are encrypting all all your messaging, if you are using secure these browsers to protect your security and privacy, and they look at your uh, your search history and see that they are, you're going to some pretty questionable websites, it begs the question of why wouldn't the NSA just completely hone in on you at that point, right? I mean. I, it's basically, to me, just waving up a red flag to different agencies saying, yeah, there's there's something kind of alarming by what I'm doing. Uh, please don't notice me. Please don't, you know, peel back the coding and get back to my IP address and track me down and store my house. Right. <laughs> um, but the, the, main, the main thing is they're not going to have the resource. They have the resource, all the resources in the world to hit one individual real hard and find them. They're not going to be able to do that with everybody. Hence the why they're adding more and more storage capacity, computer capacity. Right, but the question is, do we want a government agency to not be able to quickly identify potential security threats? I mean, if, if we're talking about honestly protecting everybody, about at least honing in on people who are legitimately threats to national security, it seems to me counter to that uh, we should, I guess, have an agency that doesn't have the resources to hone in on people. If we just say, well, everybody use Tor, everybody try to master your IP address and throw off the scent. So um, for it to truly be effective, it would have to be a mass movement of people using it. Right. And, you know, when that mass movement happens, the NSA would be rendered almost irrelevant in terms of their ability to stop legitimate security threats. Would we want to have <laughs> an agency that is ultimately irrelevant in protecting our security at that point? To me, it seems like we wouldn't want that. It would be an absolute uh, glorious waste of tax dollars and would uh, put the security of U.S. 
citizens at uh, at risk. Well, the thing is, the one one individual who has basically has come out in the past and said, because this isn't the first instance of people knowing about NSA spying and things like that, because when this information came out, there was some outrage, that, quite a bit of outrage, but there were also people who said, I'm not really surprised by this. Uh, and one of the individuals who has spoken out against mass spying, in terms of finding out who who is truly a threat not or not, he is basically, this individual's basically advocated that the U.S. federal government is wasting time, money, and resources at the moment. His name is Robert Steele. He's former CIA. He basically came out and said, you don't need to record entire phone conversations. It's a waste of resources. You only need to do patterns. All you need to do is see if Schmuck in Afghanistan had his call every week. You only need to go off of patterns alone. You don't need to archive this massive amount of information. It's not necessary. So you have somebody who was on the inside, so to speak, in that regard stating, this is getting inefficient. This is costing taxpayers quite a bit of money. There's a better way of doing things. Well, I mean, it would be disingenuous for us to say that they don't need to keep track of all the data. I mean, if you live in a foreign country and you know that you're not going to be have access all the time to uh, be able to communicate with your family, most people would at least give a call back home every week, probably around the same time. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if you're just looking at patterns in a vacuum, then, yeah, it would seem like the person who's making their weekly call back home would be linked to terrorism. But if you actually delve into the content itself and and you would understand that, yeah, this person is just making sure that their family's okay, that everyone has, you know, a roof over their head, food in their stomach, that's not a link to terrorism at all. I think that the NSA would probably, uh, yeah, it would bog down... It'll bog down governmental agencies to collect all this data and then decipher all the data. Yeah, it would make it a little bit more inefficient, but I think it would have ultimately the advantages outweighing the disadvantages because now the government is able to have accurate data to work with, right? I mean, we have, if, if we're just looking at patterns and we're talking about the NSA protecting people's security, they would say that only looking at patterns would probably mean that the NSA would seek out people who are not threatening at all, that it would actually stretch, overstretch the NSA and these other security agencies. Um, it would be disadvantageous to the preservation of U.S. security. But that, then we would get into arguments about is are other measures helpful as well, such as considering what's going on overseas, whether certain foreign policies being implemented is helpful or harmful, and those sorts of things. Oh, I would, I would absolutely love to get into that, because the NS... I mean, I, I'm not sure if, if everybody's been tracking the developments with these governmental agencies who are trying to protect U.S. security, but um, Brazil just canceled its, um, its uh, state meeting with the United States over allegations that the United States was spying on some top government officials from Brazil for no reason at all other than it was data that uh, happened to exist within the system. 
and it was mispointed, and um, but nonetheless, the NSA was le- was legitimately uh, uh, seeking out these patterns as being legitimate security risks and spying on, on government officials in Brazil, and it's affecting U.S. foreign relations. It certainly is, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems in, that we're running into in society today. Is 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 this a, is this the root of the problem, or is it a symptom of a deeper problem? Hence, why and then there hence why we need to have these sorts of discussions. If and I'll just say this right now: if you can make the NSA's life a little bit harder, in theory, if they're coming after you, then you sure as hell can protect yourself against identity thieves and common criminals easily. Right. I mean, if you're using Tor to mask your IP address and stop rogue hackers from basically taking over your computer, stealing your financial information, then by all means, use these alternative web browsing. But if you're just doing it to skirt government uh, regulations on what websites you do see, you're throwing up a bunch of red flags that shouldn't that you don't need to throw up, um, and you're drawing more attention to yourself. You might be getting yourself caught right into what you're trying to avoid. Which brings me to one question I had: was what do you think is the most important or beneficial use of Tor software? Do you think it's the greatest benefits lie here in the states, considering the NSA, or somewhere like Iran or China? That's the argument, essentially, that the Navy was making. Right, that we're allowing for this alternative web browsing to exist, so people who are in different countries who um, you know, are threatened daily with government censorship now have a means to get the news out as to what's happening in their country. Right, and I see it as a benefit to both countries because there are those who... who do, who are just annoyed, don't like being tracked by large companies anyway, and they just they just want to look up their favorite recipe to their favorite thing. It can be left alone. Never put your financial information into anything ever online. That's the best way to avoid uh, these targeted advertisements. They As soon as you put your financial information in or any information related to your personal data, your address, they're going to uh, take that information... And information is going to be put into an algorithm. They're going to generate ads I, based off your interests. I honestly, when you bring that up, I actually don't really have, and this might be shocking, I don't have a problem with data mining. Of course, because, okay, let's say I order whatever music online or whatever product I've ordered online. Boom, I get hit up with an ad. Oh, that's also something I'd be interested in. Sometimes the data mining gets funny. Like the time right. I got Iranian, the, the one that just beats all is when I was hit up with a Facebook ad for Iranians for Romney back in the election. Uh, I, bought, I bought <laughs> Iranians for Romney. What? I bought a movie. Exactly. I bought a movie online that uh, uh, it, it was like the lead actor was like Richard Gere or something like that. And immediately like on my Facebook and on like the Google advertisements, it was promoting like I should buy this hot cheese stuffed animal. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that movie. Okay. So <laughs> actually I, I won't bore I won't bore our listeners with the details. It just just look up like hot cheese stuffed animals. That's what I was getting. For, it was just what, complete nonsense. What do you think is the best use of software. Since you're the one that sort of hipped us to the existence of Tor, what do you think is, is the best application for it? 
Um, who should? Who does it help out or benefit the most? Oh, the most um, individuals who want to just kind of couple broad segments. Individuals who want to seek out certain information without necessarily um, being like traced where they're at. Like say somebody at college wants to look at something and a university log catches what they're looking at and it could be for the most innocent like reasons. What? Like what example? Like, like say they're looking at naked pictures of adults for research purposes, comparing body types and things like that, and a university takes that the wrong <laughs> way, well, they could utilize Tor to obfuscate the, the person, that. I think, could also use some discretion and view that in their own home as opposed to the university. Like, I wouldn't even, what do you want to call it, discretion or common sense? I would not, whether for medical purposes... For like pornographic purposes, I would not dream of looking up something like that on the university's computer because right. I know the what if. What if I do get caught? And and um, as as we've seen in recent stories regarding local university administrators, tend to screw up. But it can also a lot. A lot. It can also help those who are blowing the whistle, saying, "Hey, this company that I'm with." They're doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. How does how does their core software help with that? Well, well, what hey, they can, whistleblowing? They can, like, let's say a company's doing an Enron. They're cooking the books, mm -hmm. so to speak. Somebody can communicate with another individual who has, either they're with the media or they're connected to the media or some sort of platform that has connections to lots and lots and lots of people, lots of people look at it. They can then go in through Tor and say, boom, here's some information. This company's doing stuff they should not be doing. This is going to hurt a lot of people, and that company won't be able to find out necessarily who that person is because they won't know where the requests for information being sent or right. received Tor, originated from. Tor mas to answer your question, Mitchell, in like a phrase, Tor masks your IP address. Like right, right, right. like yeah, it basically adds the additional layers of security to ultimately mask your address. At least that's what the theory is. Um sort, sort of coding. like sort of like, you know, in some of the anime and some some T V shows and movies, how a ninja uses certain smoke bombs to obfuscate their lo actual location. Or like a sniper would put camouflage on his face and then put like foliage on his gun. Um, it's just additional levels of security, of uh, camouflage, if you will, to it, mask who and what you are. And it's it's more of stealth. And it's the combination... But isn't, but tr then the goal of stealth is to not be detected. Correct. Do, but can this be... This, this can be detected, correct? Well, yes and no. I mean, in July, yes. Well, um, in the coding, there's an issue with the coding um, in Tor, I believe, or at least in Freedom Hosting servers that Tor was using. Um, and what effectively allowed for it to happen was that any user, government or otherwise, could basically peel back the layer of security like you would peel back the layers of an onion and get, get to the origin IP address. And then from there, it can detect... You can just take anybody's IP address and put it into an IP address finder anywhere online, and it'll tell you within 
probably 15 miles where that IP address is currently. And that's why it's relying upon one method alone is not guaranteed. That's why the people from the Pirate Bay who put out their own custom browser basically, it, and make no mistake, it's basically an unbranded Firefox with no script and other extensions that block advertisements and block the collecting of cookies and things of that sort of, and that sort of nature. But that's why they advocate use of something called a virtual private network, a VPN, where you're, you're, you're tunneling through the network. It's a virtual private network. And that's another thing that NSA has to target and use resources on because you combine that with a connection to the Tor network, and that makes things a little bit more murky as well. Uh, VPNs have been used in, say, mainland China to get around government censorship, and combining that with Tor kind of makes it harder to for you to be traced as well. Not impossible, but harder. And that's the idea, is make things harder. So, you are absolutely right. Don't put your financial information online if you don't want to be tracked. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, because... You mentioned financial information. The unfortunate reality is that a lot of Windows machines are vulnerable to having their stuff, you know, having to having your information basically collected when you don't want it to through Trojans, viruses, and things of that nature. Now, people who do this sort of stuff with malicious intent, you mentioned rogue hackers, which is kind of an oxymoron. An actual hacker, whether it's black hat or white hat or gray hat even, if they're out to damage you, then they're violating certain ethical principles. They're not a hacker. They may have their skills and instincts, but you either are or you aren't depending upon certain ethical codes that you choose to follow or not follow. Basically criminals. Full-blown criminals with the intent of committing acts of fraud against others. And one of the ways that they do this is stealing your credit card information, things like that. And Windows, and to an extent, though not as much, OS X vulnerable through, though the user has to be completely uh, nonchalant about security in order for that to happen, OS X's main vulnerability is Trojans that steal their administrative password. But there's entire operating systems dedicated to surfing private, privately, or privately as possible. And I, I, Mitchell, to your right, I showed you one right. such computer, or one such system, that can be installed onto a USB flash drive called Tails. And their name's very, very interesting. Um, Tails is an acronym for, which i got to pull that up because I can't remember the whole name, the Amnesiac Incognito Live System. The idea being, you plug this thing in, boot off of this drive, you do your stuff that you need to do, then when you shut down, it wipes the computer's memory completely before before completing the shutdown or reboot process. Um, it even has a XP mode camouflage to where the visual theme looks like Windows XP running on your computer in case you're in certain computer labs and you don't want anybody to be the wiser that you're not running a conventional operating system anyway. 
which they will eventually have to update because lots of computer labs use Windows 7 instead. And if some, somebody's walking by a public computer and they notice this thing that looks like XP they're gonna, and everything else looks a little bit different, they're going to start asking questions. Anyway, the, the purpose of this live system is it runs either off of a DVD, because this thing is too big to burn onto a CD, or at, at the person's option, they have to run the live image first, um, they can install it onto a USB thumb drive. And from there they can run it. There's even an option of creating a per, what's called a permanent state in case you want to save documents onto that same USB drive though they caution against that in some cases, because if somebody steals your thumb drive, you're up the creek. Um, what are your thoughts on entire systems that can be put on this, on these little things? I, or is it just like, I, I, I know, it's just not, it's not a lot of, that's in case somebody wants to go to the very, very extremes of privacy. Right. And it's, meant more for going from one computer to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, anyway. Well, I guess it kind of depends on who you are. Um, if you're absolutely wanting to contain your privacy as much as possible and go from computer to computer, then this sounds like an ideal system for you. Um, but if you absolutely want to avoid detection, um, because ultimately, uh, if human psychology tells us anything, is that humans are creatures of habit. Right. You're probably also not going to go very far if you're just if let's say you're hopping to and from different uh, computer labs. If you're researching the same type of stuff, it, you're eventually going to develop a pattern. And you're gonna if your ultimate goal is to not throw up a red flag, this seems kind of counterintuitive. But in terms of just if you're wanting to just search or if you're just wanting to you know browse the web without having your IP address detected, and you're immediately searching what you would search anyway using Google or whatever, um, then it sounds like it's absolutely fine. But in my experience, a lot of the reason a lot of the reasons why people use Tor, or at least based on the analysis, uh, the most recent research on Tor after this kind of um, coding gaffe that they had, was that it, it's not necessarily related to I guess PG thirteen material that's dealing more in illicit activities and things of that nature. If you're using this network, even if, uh, and I'm sure everybody who's used the internet today, right. you you go to a website thinking that you're just going to read an article, and then bam, there's a whole bunch of different pop ups, and those pop ups get registered on your computer. Yep. And if you know your criminal status. If your law-abiding status gets called into question, they take a cursory look at your hard drive and notice that there is some very questionable material on that hard drive because it just popped up onto your computer one day when you're searching different articles, then ugh, that throws up a lot of red flags. If you want to try to be as safe as possible, I would just stick with your traditional platforms. At the very least, you can you know um, control that content because they, uh, Google browsers, even Yahoo, despite their, I guess, previous inner workings with the NSA and FBI and other uh, agencies, they have a lot more sophisticated content uh, controllers than Tor that relies on 
and other programs that operate on uh, open source software. And, and the thing to keep in mind is, you know, exercising common sense, don't be stupid. I'm going to give you an example of basically why certain technologies don't matter in terms of whether you get caught or not. We mentioned the Silk Road earlier, where you can buy drugs and other bad stuff on there, right? Well, it doesn't matter if you get your drugs from the Silk Road. Once it enters the real world, it's no longer in the realm of, you know, the cyber world anyway. Um, what had happened up in Philadelphia was an individual named Stacy Litz. She was in certain activist circles um, regarding anarchy, um, libertarian, as certain libertarianism circles, and what have you. She wasn't tracked through Tor. She wasn't tracked through the Silk Road. What had happened was an undercover agent, an undercover cop, posing as somebody who wanted to buy drugs off of her in an aggressive manner, intimidated her into selling him drugs, which she obtained from the Silk Road. But they didn't have to know that she obtained it from the Silk Road. All they have to know is that she sold illicit substances, even if they're in the soft variety, to somebody else. And from there, she was arrested. Well, they, there's still a record of her obtaining illicit materials from the Silk Road and other various uh, uh, entities. All that information is tracked and analyzed as a part of a broader um, policing strategy of the American populace. Now, whether she was coerced or not is a different question. I guess a question that'll be answered once it uh, case that inevitably goes to court, but um, it doesn't make these sites any any less, uh, or I guess any more safe to use. In fact, people who would, if you're if you're putting yourself in a position where you are surrounded by things that you probably wouldn't otherwise do, and you're told that they're okay, and you're told that long enough, you're more likely to engage in behavior you otherwise wouldn't do. Um, that I mean, that's the basics of human psychology, right? If you're if you're just around a constant presence, right. a legitimizing presence of a certain activity, you're more likely to do that activity. And in the point that is being drawn up here is, at some point, certain things are going to hit the real world. At that point, what technology you use is moot. In this individual's case, it was getting busted actively handing the stuff over and everything else and that's and that's why when you're using certain technologies it doesn't matter what you use you can use windows os 10 ubuntu slackware something but if you're reckless you're setting yourself up for for a world of hurt no matter what you do and that's where a lot of people make the assumption that, oh, what I'm running is safe. Well, no, don't assume that. Exercise some caution and that sort of thing. And that's why even if you run a dedicated operating system for, and it's a live system, but even they have certain documentation that says, if you do this, here's some ways that people might get around that. Be careful. And the ultimate challenge for them is creating as secure of an environment as possible. So, um, take that as you will. 
Uh, as we're wrapping up this episode, um, give our give you all a lot to think about here. If you're using Tor, obviously, or any other program for that matter, the the ultimate message we're giving to you is, you know, uh, buyers beware. Um, if you're buying into a system, you have to do your research. At the end of the day, the security um, follies of Tor was a result of um, somebody putting in some pretty malicious coding that allowed for anybody to backtrack uh, internet users back to their original IP addresses, locate them, and then ultimately hone in on them. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical about using these alternative websites, mainly because I don't know a whole lot about um, different types of computing software. Mitchell, what are your thoughts? What are your final closing thoughts on these types of systems? It's very interesting. It's I'm sort of undecided about it. I'm just basically undecided. I think there's, I mean, if they can serve a purpose, I think in some ways it's like you could say they, they could facilitate illegal activity, but then you could make the same argument for gun ownership. Certainly. <clears throat> and But it's not necessarily the the object itself, but the owner and operator of the object that lends itself to criminality or legal use. So that's that's what I found to be most interesting. Yeah, is it, is, is it the gun or is it the finger on the trigger, so to speak? And that's that's the lesson overall moral of the day, I suppose. Basically, be responsible. You know how there's these alcohol ads on TV that says drink responsibly or gamble responsibly. We're going to show you that they're fun, but, but, you know, try not to get completely sloshed. It makes us look bad. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. And these are these are some of the things that can be, you can use. Um, and if you really just want to search, startpage.com or duckduckgo.com are good ones to use. If all you're wanting to do is search and not be served with a bunch of ads. But at the end of the day, the security of your own computers and your own private network is up to you. Um, you cannot fully rely upon everybody alone. Open source software can be patched in a heartbeat, but they have to find malicious code first, and that can take some time. Uh, same is true with proprietary software. So no matter what you do, um, just be cautious, be careful, be responsible. And that about wraps up our 25th episode of this podcast. Number 25. Number 25. For, for those who are following what, we're, uh, what we've done on uh, the Nix report over the last couple of months, you know, we've seen some pretty outstanding growth. Um, I'd like to obviously make sure that this is uh, a project that continues to grow. So please, if you believe in the Nix report and what they're doing, um, like us on Facebook, share it with a couple of friends. Please do us a favor. Alternative media sources like this do not survive on their own. They need the help from you. Please just take a minute or so and like us on Facebook or um, check out our content on the website. And next week, we're going to be talking about a very important subject matter, tying it all in, bringing it all home, regarding police brutality. Because things that happen on an international level, like we talked about last week, and on a national level tend to trickle down all the way to the local level in some cases in terms of cops acting more like they're members of the military. So next week, militarization of police, 
uh, look at a book called Rise of the Warrior Cop. Uh, until next time, I'm Thomas. I'm Mitchell Brown. And I'm Zach Gotham. And we'll see you next time. And that was another episode of the Next Report podcast covering Unix and Overlook Pop Culture. The intro theme that is being used is brought to you by The Introvert, an independent band that's up and coming. Any and all sound clips used in any episodes are done so under fair use. Feel free to check out the website at thenextreport.com where there's links to social networking sites that this venue is also on. Entertain yourself, educate yourself, and empower yourself. And thank you for tuning in.